Bloodlines, a history of the outcries of the indigenous people. Hello and welcome to Bloodlines. My name is Catherine Warega and I'm here with uh, Colin Ingersoll. Both of us are social work students at the University of Laurentian, Ontario, Canada. In this channel, we shall be discussing about the history of Canada and the indigenous people. Remind and educate each other about the relevance of this history to our present lives. The indigenous people have always complained and raised concerns about their present social welfare, their human rights, and their rights to self-government. Are these concerns and issues valid? Today, we shall venture into the past and look at the history of the indigenous people, their encounter with the colonialists, and the various policies established by the colonial government that led to devastating consequences, whose effects are being felt by the present generation. At the end of the podcast, we shall ask you to comment whether the present government is still encouraging policies that marginalize the indigenous people and your thoughts on the validity of the issues being raised by the indigenous people. This is the first of a series of weekly conversations that we shall be having. So please subscribe to our podcast and share. Don't miss out on any updates on this revealing, revealing storytelling and study. Welcome to Bloodlines. Precious time never wasted. I would like us to begin with a brief introduction of the origin of the indigenous people. Most people have always been led to think that Americans were, America was discovered by early European settlers who then brought civilization to it and later on went to set up a country known as Canada. Most have been led to think to to think that the arrival of Europeans marked the down of North American history and that anything before this is prehistory and not relevant. Some see the spread of immigrants as the destiny of history, choosing not to examine the consequences and continued costs of this view, says Macrody de Tapel in their 1993 book. In the rapids, navigating the future of the first nation. But it is clear that this school of thought cannot be farther from the truth. It is imperative for us to accept the fact that Americas were inhabited even longer before the advent of the European settlers. While these non-indigenous people's stories were about coming to Canada, the First Nations participants spoke about the initial encounters between the newcomers and their ancestors, and about the sense of connection that comes from having always been here in the land called Turtle Island. Events of the past decades have raised a number of questions among Canadians with regard to the indigenous peoples. Non-indigenous Canadians always ask such questions. What do Indian people want? 
what do they mean by sovereignty? What is self-government? Why do they always complain? Why don't they want to work like any other person? These are very real questions that must be addressed in order for us to be on the same page. To do this, we must appreciate the history of the indigenous people, the new world, quote unquote, as it was commonly referred to was inhabited by people with distinct people organized in cultural diverse ways. The indigenous people had always lived North American in a land they referred to as a turtle island. They believed this homeland was given to them by the creator, the great spirit, and therefore they had a responsibility to take care of it. And they did this for years before the coming of the European colonialists. The indigenous people were hunters and gatherers. The indigenous people practiced their own spirituality or religion, which was based on honoring all living creation and maintaining the balance of nature. It was important to be strong physically and spiritually as it still is. And children were trained through puberty to assume their responsibilities by building their strength and endurance for adulthood. Children were taught by their mothers and the elders through close guidance in storytelling. Many Canadians do not understand the struggle faced by the indigenous people. They have faced a holocaust and a cultural genocide. The indigenous people have also been diminished by sickness as a result of the lack of natural immunity to disease introduced by the newcomers more profoundly. They have suffered because of policies geared towards assimilating them and making them conform to expectations of the dominant society that has been built around them. Reference is Macrody, 1993. While we shall not be able to cover the nitty-gritty about the atrocities done towards the indigenous people and the acts of the deception used to subjugate them, we shall cover only a few and I would request that you leave the thoughts, you leave your thoughts and comments on these discussions at the end of the podcast. The indigenous people lived in a collaborative communities which allowed them to be able to take care of each other. They practiced kindness and valued it as the way of living. This led them to provide shelter and land to the needy Europeans who were migrating from America to seek shelter, leading to land treaties that allowed the Europeans to find land to settle. The indigenous people also traded with Europeans, giving them fire in exchange for guns, knives, alcohol and clothes. This led to the indigenous people taking up some European cultures as they intermingled with them. I could almost imagine how cool they felt adorning the latest Gucci and Louis Vuitton of that time. <laughs> <laughs> However, things soon changed when the Europeans turned against them. The indigenous people were pushed into reserves and their source of living was banned and declared illegal. Many indigenous people living on reserves suddenly found that they were unable to sustain themselves or their families. However, leaving the reserve meant facing discrimination and assimilation in urban centers. Relinquishing one's Indian rights and losing or jeopardizing connections to family and territory. The indigenous spiritual ceremonies and events were also banned. While many of their ceremonies and spiritual practices have remained intact, indigenous children do not always have the chance to learn how valuable these practices are because they are being educated in non-indigenous schools.
With the introduction of the education and industrialization, the indigenous people were forced to abandon their ways of living and seek education. Those who could not learn English or master new skills were rendered helpless and purposeless. Hey, we cannot cover enough today on the subject of residential schools in this podcast, so I promise to be another that there will be another episode dedicated to this specific topic. The trauma that was experienced by those who attended residential schools has been described as a defeathering process, stripping Aboriginal peoples of their knowledge, spirituality, physical and emotional well-being. The 60s COP, a term coined by Patrick Johnson, author of the 1993 Native Children and Child Welfare System, describes the mass of removal of the Aboriginal children from their families into the child welfare system, in most cases without the consent of their families or bands. Most of these children were adopted by non-indigenous families in Canada and the United States. Children at the schools grew up without nurturing and loving homes that uplifted them to partake in their culture, leading them to have misconstrued ways of living. Many of them as adults lacked parenting skills and utilized tactics of abuse on their children. Other responses to intergenerational trauma, uh, excuse me, other responses to intergenerational trauma in indigenous populations may include substance abuse, depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, anger, and suicidal thinking. Another item of importance to take into action in connection with the residential school is the student population of indigenous children that died during that period. For example, Cooper Island Residential School located near Cheminas School saw the deaths of nearly one third of its student population in years following its opening in 1889. St. Anne's operated in Fort Albany, Ontario until 1976 and is remembered for horrific stories of abuse. Edmund Metatawabin, a survivor and former chief of Fort Albany First Nation, said children at the school were sexually abused, punished with shocks delivered by electric chairs and forced to eat their own vomit, said Edmund Metatawabin, a survivor of the residential school system to CCTV News. The 60s coup occurred not because the government not because the government was genuinely concerned for the well-being of indigenous children but primarily as an extension of the racist policies against indigenous children into western society and stripped them from their cultural culture and communities. The 60s coup had a lifetime impact not only on the children who were stolen from their homes but their families too. The 60 scoops occurred not because the government, not because the government was genuinely concerned for the well-being of indigenous children, but primarily as an extension of the racist poli policies against indigenous children into Western society and stripped them from the, their culture and communities. The 60 scoops had a lifetime impact not only to the children who were stolen from their homes, but their families too. Emily Hansen describes the effects of the 60 Scoops in her online article, The 60 Scoops, A Loss of Culture and Identity. Her article touches on a dark secret that many Canadians do not know about, how the government stripped away 
thousands of indigenous children from their culture and homes, their connection to their heritage. Sadly, many were also abused and made to feel ashamed of who they were. Some of the indigenous victims never returned to their culture. And a big chunk of indigenous culture is now forgotten as the result of the 60s scoops. Take it on, Catherine. One of the most powerful tools the Canadian government used to hegemonize the indigenous people is through legislation, and in particular, the Indian Act of 1867. Colonization meant that the Indian people were considered a problem and thus a prevailing belief that Indigenous peoples needed to be assimilated into Euro-Canadian culture because their tradition ways were considered their traditional ways were considered uncivilized and immoral. The indigenous people were also subjected to enfranchisement tactics. Any Indian who obtained a university degree and or became a professional such as a doctor or a lawyer would automatically lose their status. The Indian Act has been highly criticized for its gender biases, another means of terminating one's Indian status, thus excluding women from their aboriginal rights, and it was designed to fulfill the continuation of the federal government's civilization and assimilation goals. According to Joseph, 2021 author of 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act, the Indian Act still in force indeed seems to be widely out of step with the bulk of canadian law as it singles out a segment of society based on race removing much of their land and property from the commercial mainstream and gives the government a degree of discretion that is not only intrusive but frequently offensive additionally the indian act had other ways to weaken the indigenous people, including renaming the indigenous people with European English names. These and other tactics further compounded the deprivation of what was familiar to them and created isolation from their children to destroy ties to their culture. Canadian churches publicly apologized for their role in residential school system and the Canadian federal and provincial governments formally apologized for the development of the schools, the abuse suffered at the schools and the negative effects caused by the school. Wonderful people, we have briefly looked at the history of the Canadian government and the indigenous people. We have touched on key aspects that Canadian government used to oppress the indigenous people. While I haven't mentioned much about the treaties between the indigenous people, I must accept that they are an important piece of the puzzle of the question of the right of the indigenous people of self-government. I invite you to post your thoughts and comments about treaties, about the treaties. What do you think they meant? Do you think the indigenous people understood what they were getting into when they signed the treaties? Do you think the indigenous people have a right to self-determination? Finally, many people argue that colonization and its effects are still ongoing when looking at current events. I'll leave you with this question. What are your thoughts about this? Well, folks, that marks the end of this podcast, and I'd like to thank you for your time. Special thanks also goes to my colleague, Colleen Ingersoll, whose help and support made creating this podcast possible. Until next time.